All right, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? Great. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm so glad you're here. We're, we're in this series that we just started last week, so the good news is we can all catch up. Um, and it's a series, really, that I titled, What in the World's Going On? And we're looking at how the world is being groomed for the arrival of the Antichrist and how in our world right now, Almost everything we see was spoken of in Scripture thousands of years ago. Last week, we introduced the idea of an end times dashboard, a, a board that has a whole bunch of warning lights, and each one representing a sign or, or a, a, a prophecy about what is about to happen. Each light representing a specific promise of God about the future. Each light flashing from a prophecy from years ago that's happening right now. That's what warning lights are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to get your attention. They're supposed to warn you and tell you to wake up and get ready because something's about to happen. Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We mentioned last week that the rapture is not preceded by any sign. In fact, it's the next event that's going to occur. Uh, one day we will just all go to be with Jesus. That's just those who believe will go, those who don't will stay. It can happen at any moment. There's nothing in the Bible that says that ha something has to happen first. There's nothing that we're waiting on. But there are signs in the Bible and in Scripture that talk about end times. And those signs are not pointing to the rapture, they're pointing to tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the second coming of Christ, and the battle of Armageddon. So when God said, look, the end times are coming, or that day is coming, he's talking about the second return of Jesus to earth. And we talked last week about how Jesus made his first arrival here as Messiah to show us how much God loves us and to pay for our sins and to give us a, a way to reconnect with God. And then he went away and he said, I'm preparing a room for you and I'll be back. Now, when he comes back, he will physically step forth on this earth. And the scriptures tell us everybody will know he's here. It won't be subtle. It won't be a surprise. But many, including me, believe that between those two moments, there is a moment when believers are taken to be with Jesus in the clouds. And we'll be going through that as we talk about Revelation. Now, last week we turned our attention to this light that's been flashing for several decades. And that light is what we call humanism. If you remember, humanism is the fastest growing religion in the world. And we learned about how God has allowed the world to begin to be groomed for the arrival of this Antichrist. Now, it's important to realize nothing happens in end times unless God says it can there's nothing that's going to happen unless God has ordained it and allowed it. Okay, he's not losing a battle, he's actually winning it. So we speak of humanism a bit more today, and then I'm going to turn to the next light that's blinking that should have all of us up on our toes. Humanism, we said last week, is the apostasy that teaches that the wisdom and power of humans over the wisdom and power of God. It, it, apostasy and humanism is basically... You deciding you can be God. Now, in order for the Antichrist to be successful in deceiving the entire world, there's some critical thoughts and critical things that have to align. 
First, Satan has to convince people that they're their own God. That's the first step. He's got to convince everybody, you can be your own God. You can have your own truth. Then he has to convince them that they all need to think the same. They all need to think uniformly. There's a pressure, the scriptures say, in the world where they'll be moving people to all agree together on one thought or one thought process. One of the challenges facing every world leader who's ever tried to conquer the entire globe is that there are people from different cultures, different languages, different religions, different loyalties, and they've never been able to get all those people to think the same. Okay, there's always a group that's not fitting in. Not since the Roman Empire has a leader been able to coordinate the world in one think process. Align all cultures and people into one entity, and yet the scriptures say that's exactly what's going to happen. One of the signs of end times is that we'll have a one world government, a one world religion, one world language, one world military, one world race, one world economy, and most importantly, one world mindset regarding God. Many consider the dissolution of different cultures breaking down any cultural differences as a form of human achievement. We should, they say, all be one. There shouldn't be Europeans and Africans and Asians and Americans. What separates us should be dissolved. We should all be one human race. We need to be a one world culture, they say. Humans, nothing else. Rather than celebrating the creativity and wonder of God's creation, of our differences, of the way God made us differently, of the cultures that we have, we should all become robotic. We should all become one thinker. If we all thought the same, we wouldn't have conflicts with each other. You see, what's causing the conflicts is we're different from each other. If we just agreed to all be the same, there'd be no conflict. In fact, Today, just noticing people are different is politically incorrect. Hmm. Now, I believe the Antichrist is currently walking on the planet. It's my opinion. I know he hasn't manifested himself yet. Too many people who know the scriptures would identify him immediately. I believe that the Antichrist will rise to leadership by solving problems that result worldwide from the rapture. That's what I believe. I believe Christians are going to be raptured. I believe the world's going to be in total chaos. And someone's going to stand up and go, I got this. The entire world is going to turn to them. Oh, what a wonderful person bringing peace. And we got rid of those judgmental Christians who are intolerant. And the world's going to be our own utopia. That's what's going to happen. Without God's people and the Holy Spirit, he can initiate a seven-year time that, don't miss this, God has ordained and allowed for him to have influence. Those who remain will be less skilled at recognizing him. Now the Antichrist will draw people to himself by tapping in to our flawed, sinful nature that says we can do what we want, we can become what we want, we can define our truth, we can be the center of our own universe, and we can worship ourselves, and particularly this, particularly our own wisdom, perceptions, and understandings of the way the world should be. Finally, we can do what we want to do. We'll become our own God. We'll never be wrong, and we'll never be responsible, and we won't be accountable to anybody. 
Our world is shrinking. The supply chain is no longer national. Everything is interrelated and interconnected. Just a few decades ago, what happened in the world impacted only the nation where it happened. Now a disease in a remote part of a country can impact global markets and people in days. We've learned to trust human wisdom to solve all our problems. When's the last time you heard a world leader get on their knees and go, we have to pray because our answers have to come from God. No, no, we'll figure this out. We're humans. We have smart people here. Humanism, they say, is the answer to our issues. Our world today is embracing humanism like crazy. I talked about it all last week in ways we never dreamed of 50 years ago. Songs, worship songs, are now played on the radio for those who are humanists. Ironically, almost everyone who's produced a humanist worship song is now dead. It didn't work out well. Whitney Houston has the anthem of humanism, and yet her life speaks to its demise. Listen to the words of her greatest hit. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I've never found anyone who fulfills my needs. A lonely place to be, so I learned to depend on me. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Because the greatest love of all is happening to me, I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It's a humanist worship song. I can be my own hero. What I'm searching for is inside of me. You see, I'm really great. I just haven't discovered it yet. I have enormous potential. I can be God. I just have to turn myself loose to do it. John Lennon, a devout atheist, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try, except now. Now it's probably hard for him. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And then the warning. Did you ever notice the warning in the song? You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Someday I'll hope you'll join us, and don't miss this, the world can live as one. Dear God, by ecstasy. The message of this song is that evil of the world is not of man, it's God's fault. The lyrics address God directly, accusing him of causing diseases, misfortune, and wars throughout all of human history. Listen to these lyrics. Did you make mankind after we made you? The hurt I see helps to compound that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is just somebody's unholy hoax. The band stopped touring in 1982. That may be why you haven't heard from them, because their lead singer had a mental breakdown due to anxiety and psychosomatic complaints. The Dave Matthew Band. What you are. Repeating once again the mantra, Here's what the lyrics say in this song. Hoping to God on high is like clinging to straws while drowning. 
Billy Joel. His lyrics speak of the futility of a relationship with God. You see, only the good die young, specifically Catholic girls who won't sleep with him. They showed you a statue, they told you to pray. They built you a temple, then they locked you away. Oh, but they never told you the price you'd pay for things that you might have done. They say there's a heaven for those who wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are so much more fun. The purpose of this song? For Virginia to give up her virginity to him and stop following her Catholic faith. Because only the good die young. People are being brainwashed to embrace humanism. It's on every newscast, almost every news show, every movie in Hollywood, everything put out by Disney, almost every streaming network, almost every news feed, almost every scientific program is streaming the celebration of man and the denial of God. Almost every large corporation have moved from promoting their primary business to the business of promoting humanism. Companies are more concerned about what they're known for on their social stances than the products they produce. It's difficult to watch, but God told us this would happen. He said this is going to get much worse. But humanism is just one flashing sign on our dashboard today. There are many things going on that hit our prophetic horizon. I want to bring you to the next ism that we're going to cover. We talked about humanism. Let me introduce another warning light for you called globalism. The Antichrist will come and mimic what Jesus has already done. That's his purpose. The scriptures tell us that he'll survive what appears to be a mortal head wound. He'll declare he's risen from the dead and that he's God. After he does that, he'll usher in three and a half years of pure hell on earth. Prior to that, God is going to allow him to have three and a half years of peace on earth. Many of the Jewish people will believe he's the Messiah. He's finally come back to bring peace to the world. He's going to turn on the world, declare himself God, and three and a half years later, all hell breaks loose in judgment that we call Armageddon. Everything God does, everything God allows is in his perfect timing. The scriptures told us that Jesus first arrived with perfect timing ordained by the Father. Galatians 4.4 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. The fullness of time. When the world was so full, so ready that the only thing the world could handle next was the Messiah, he came. He came at a time when the Roman roads connected the known world, where printing and replication of scrolls were becoming commonplace. He came to a world that had one common language, Greek, and he could communicate the gospel to a world, particularly a Jewish world, where God had been silent for hundreds of years. A time when Paul says the people were enslaved to themselves and their sins. Jesus had an incredible message. But the message is only as effective as its reach. That's what the challenge for the disciples who were left standing on the Mount of Olives. How do we get this world-changing, incredible message out to the whole world? Well, part of perfect timing was the Roman roads. 
common language, trade routes, advances in travel, the acceptance the Greeks had of spiritual newness, of listening to new ideas, the persecution of early believers that drove them to the Roman Empire, and so many other circumstances made this time the perfect time for Jesus to be here and for his message to go around the world. God tells us through the prophet Habakkuk that the end times will be like that too. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets so that he might run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The vision awaits its appointed time. What time is that exactly? You see, just like there is a perfect time for Christ to arrive on earth, there is a perfect time that God has ordained for the Antichrist to arrive on earth. Romans eleven twenty five. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of the mystery, Paul says. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, like we talked about, we're in a Gentile era right now. The Jews initially rejected Jesus' message. He said, I'm going to take this to the Gentiles. He got Paul and Peter and others to go to the Gentiles. And then he said, there's going to be a day when that era ends and the rest of everything is going to be about going back to get the Jews to recognize Jesus as Messiah. We live in the Gentile period. If you were here for the last series we did, we lived between the fourth and the fifth feast the spring and the fall, were in the summertime. But the fullness of Gentiles has not yet come in. In other words, there are still Gentiles who need to recognize Jesus as Christ. How will we know when every Gentile who needs to recognize Jesus as Christ has done so? This era will end. People ask me, when do you think uh, the rapture will occur. When do you think the second coming will occur? I say, as soon as anybody needs that to happen for their faith to kick in. In other words, there are people, it's going to take the rapture to wake them up. Hmm. I believe that we'll know when the fullness of time has come, when the Gentile period ends, because I believe it is the moment we are raptured. As soon as we're raptured, the Gentile period is over. It's time to move on. And I've said the moment will make the world a place God has allowed for the Antichrist to help him declare his loyal people on earth. You see, our world is becoming very small, very interconnected. Worldwide communication that we thought was impossible is now commonplace. Can you imagine a first century person reading that something happened in Israel and the entire world saw it all at once? They had no concept. God's going to put a movie in the sky or something. They didn't know. We look at it and we go, yeah, but is it in 4K or 5K? How does that happen? In order for Satan to promote the doctrine of humanism and move people to apostasy, the denial of all things God, the world has to be in a place where global rethink of God can be transmitted globally in an instant. The message of Oprah, Billy Joel, Deepak, John Lennon, and others is not new. 
the ability to promote that message worldwide to a global audience is unique to our lifetime. It's not a coincidence that American culture has invaded the entire world. People all over the world watch American movies with subtitles. The other way around, not so much. Go off to any country you want and they've seen American movies. They've listened to American music. They know everything American. Go to their corners or businesses. Our banks are there. Our fast food restaurants are there. Pick any city in the world you want. We have penetrated the world with Americanism. Don't you think that's odd? Like, why don't we have Chinese banks here? Why don't we have Brazilian restaurants here? Why don't we have their fast? It's weird, isn't it, that only the American stuff went worldwide? Hmm. The world markets, the world economy, world wars, the world's health, world's morals, and the world's global think originates and is propagated from the United States. Hmm. The prophets foretold of a growing sense of globalism. Nations begin to mesh around a single common purpose. That purpose will be to make themselves their own God and denounce the real God. The second flashing light on the dashboard is globalism. It indicates that the time is full. It indicates that the time is near for the arrival of the Antichrist. Now this all happened once before, you know, by the way. Man trying to become their own God. Way back in Genesis. After the flood. You see, what happened after the flood is man started going, you know what, that's really cool, God, we appreciate the rainbow, but you flooded the world. We need to build a tower to get out of here. We need to build a tower to get ourselves to heaven, God, because I know you promised you wouldn't do it again, but you did it, and so now we need to be our own God because you disappointed us. We're going to build our own tower, and we're going to get ourselves to heaven. Rather than trust God, they decided to get to heaven on their own. Genesis 11.1. 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? Hmm. And people migrated from the east. They found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we're dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, God had told them, you survived the flood, now go populate the earth. Go forth and multiply. No, we want to stay here. We know what's best. We're going to build our own city, we're going to build our own tower. We're not going to do what you want, God. Even after the flood, within a generation, they were rejecting God again. Genesis 11:5. the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. Note that. And they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. Notice what God's saying here. God said that this is the beginning of what they will do. He didn't say they're just doing this now. 
He said they're going to do it again later. He didn't say they might do it, they could do it. He said, no, no, this is the beginning of what they will do. They will be limited by their human minds and what they can think of, so they're only able to do what they can think to do. But what they think, they can accomplish. You see, the problem is that God has much greater plans than any human can think about. He can't let his creation become limited to human thought. You see, that's what we miss. God has incredible plans for us. Plans that we could never understand. They blow up our brain. But these people said, no, we're going to limit ourselves to what humans know. God says, we can't do that. I got great plans for you. My ways are higher than your ways. You'll never experience reconnection with me if you keep trying to be your own God. You see, they didn't know it, but they needed God. Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they might not understand another's speech. That's interesting. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. I often speak about how themes run through the Bible. This is one of them. Satan wants man to denounce God, worship themselves, and in the process, worship him. He's trying to organize everything to align against God. This moment at Babel is a foreshadowing of the humanism and globalism of our present and very near future. Just as the events foreshadowed in times, even though God says it's only the beginning of what they're going to do, the leader of Babel is a foreshadowing of the coming Antichrist. Their leader, a man who orchestrated the direct tower to heaven to avoid the floods, is a man named Nimrod. Nimrod in the Bible is the grandson of Noah from the line of Cush. Nimrod was described as the first mighty man to appear on earth after the great flood. Previous to the flood, there had been giants and mighty men on earth, and afterwards there were. It's clear that Nimrod was one of these mighty men. There's also evidence that he was much larger than the average man and was considered a giant. Besides the founder of the infamous Babel, or Babel, depending on where you want to go, and many other cities, Nimrod was a mighty man with great physical strength. He was also of giant stature, another reason why people would follow him. According to the historian Josephus, Nimrod said he would be revenged on God if he could have a mind to drown the world again, for he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach, and they would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Nimrod said, you killed my grandfather in a flood, so I'm going to go straight to heaven and declare myself as God and kill you. Foreshadowing of the Antichrist. There are other giants in Scripture. They come through the cursed line of Ham. We could get into that later. Through Nimrod. The giant that David fought would be one of those people. Now, there's a lot of end-time speculation about giants, and I encourage you to ignore them including the New York Giants. Just ignore them too. 
We're not getting into speculation in this series. If it's clear in Scripture, we're going to talk about it. If it's not, we're going to leave it there. Clearly, there were giants on earth, and their most powerful leader was Nimrod, who came out of the fallen line of Noah's sons named Ham. That's what you need to know. Construction of the tower ended with a show of God's power. Notice how God took care of this problem. I'm going to confuse the languages of the world. I'm going to create different cultures. I'm going to make it hard for them to communicate. So Nimrod was proved wrong. All of man's strength and ability, even the strength of the mightiest men, is a gift from God. And he can revoke that gift at any time. Now there's no doubt Nimrod was powerful, charismatic, a hero figure of the ancient world. Wanted to build a tower, wanted to be God. He foreshadows the Antichrist who would rebuild the temple and then declare himself to be God. He has a desire like the Antichrist to turn the world against God. He has a message, it's called humanism. It has to be communicated around the world. In order to communicate that message, they've got to get back to more like it was before Babel. They've got to get people headed towards one language. Satan has to undo what God has done at Babel. Now remember the warning God gave and the reason? And the Lord came down to see the city, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Don't miss it. This is the beginning of what they will do. Odd, isn't it? He didn't say this is the beginning of what they might do or what they could do. This is what they're going to do. Not today, a day in the future. Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. He's not saying they're going to become God or that they're going to have their own effort to reach heaven or they're going to be able to restore their fallen state. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if they're left to their own fallen minds, he's gifted them so much they can actually achieve a lot within that framed and uh, flawed structure. God is talking about the potential that humans have that he put in them. He says organizing themselves against God is only the beginning of what they do. They'll use their intelligence, they'll use their creativity, their ingenuity, and their talents that God gave them to turn against him. The whole account of what happened at Babel with its anti-God dictator, rebellion against God and distrust of God's promises, just shows you that man hasn't gotten any better since the flood, and Satan hasn't changed his tactics. Our organization, our government, our intelligence may have made us better off, but certainly not better. He asked them to fill the earth. They said no, so God confuses the language. If we can't communicate, if we're culturally different, if we're geographically dispersed, it's almost impossible for us to organize ourselves to reject God. But God says one day, those things are going to happen. Cultural lines are going to break down. National borders are going to break down. The world's going to become a small place. There's going to be a central language. They're going to be able to communicate either through translators or whatever. They'll figure out a way where everybody can hear a message at once. Communicate it in a way they can understand it. They will unite together, globalism, and turn against God. And when it starts to happen, it's supposed to be a sign for us. 
Just as God came down to break up their language, one day in the future, he's going to come down and destroy their ideology. When asked about the signs of the times, this is interesting. Notice what Jesus said. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And then oddly he says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For just in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware the flood came and swept them away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Just like in the days of Noah, Jesus says. Just like around the time of the Tower of Babel. That's what it's going to be like when uh, the coming of the Son of Man. So the closest Satan ever came to ruling the world was during the time of Nimrod. Satan's man Nimrod had organized the people, taught apostasy, centralized them into an effective rebellion. And Jesus says... It's going to be just like the times of Noah. And then he goes on to discuss the unawareness of people as to what was happening around them. So this could happen again? Jesus says not only could it happen, it will happen. There will be a time, a sign, that the world is once again becoming like the time of Noah and Nimrod. Never before has such a thing seemed even possible. But today it's not only possible, most of us would say it's inevitable. A time when people are determined they can be their own God. A time when people get dispersed around the world in different cultures, different languages, different religions, will live in a shrinking world where everybody will unite and use their human ingenuity to rebel against God. It's a flashing light, it's obvious. Maybe we can all be one culture. Maybe we can all be one language. Maybe we can all just get along. Maybe we can solve all the world's problems without God. Maybe we can share all of our resources. See, if we just look deep inside of ourselves, right here on earth, we can make a utopian society. We don't need God. We don't need his authority. We can trust our minds and our science to live forever. To clone humans. To decipher and replicate DNA. To grow organs, to freeze and resurrect people, we can, we can, wait for it, we can be like God. Such an incredible humanistic culture will need an incredible global leader. Someone who embraces this new global rethink. Someone who can bring peace to the world, someone who removes weapons. Someone who can fix the world's ecological problems. Someone who can unite the world as a people, breaking down barriers, divisions, walls, national borders. The humanists, need, the humanists well, they need a Messiah. Someone to come rescue them from the Christians. Someone who is going to save them and in steps the Antichrist. Just as God said he would thousands of years ago. Now jump from Genesis now to Revelation. God's speaking of the beast or the Antichrist. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed, notice under God's authority, it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. 
blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, that's us, and conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people, and notice this, language and nation. The Antichrist will have authority over every language, every nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world of the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Do you see that interesting language? He'll have authority over every language and every culture. God's world tells us that the Antichrist will lead a one-world government, a one-world military, a one-world economy, a one-world religion, and he's going to receive worship from the entire world. The necessary ingredients and tools for the world government are present for the first time in the history of human civilization. Daniel 12.4 But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. How do you know it's the end? Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. God told the prophet Daniel that in the end times, man's going to run to and fro, and knowledge is going to increase. Knowledge is not going to bring them peace, it's going to bring them anxiety. All those technologies that they think are going to make their life wonderful are actually going to stress them out and freak them out. Men will be anxious and unsettled trying to figure out what's true. But it also means that man will get from location to location, not just by travel, but electronically. Man will be able to go anywhere almost instantly. They'll run to and fro. How is that possible? Knowledge shall increase. Well, man will make things. Man will set out to do what man desires to do. Set out for the purpose that nothing's going to be impossible, God says. Enter the internet. The computer chip, the satellite, the computer, cell phone, smartphone, artificial intelligence. Enter the language of visual media, digital translations of languages. All these things are bringing humans closer and closer together. President Trump, regardless of what you think about him, has shown the power of a world leader who has direct access to millions of people through Twitter. Social media is now a more powerful communicator than television or print media, and there's no filters on it. The internet is global, and no one owns it. There are very few restrictions. It's a worldwide platform for communication right now. But one day, the Antichrist will decide what goes out over the internet. None of these things were even available 35 years ago. God says towards the end times, you'll know it's happening because knowledge will increase. Let me just take you to a little walk through history. The first satellite communication was the year I was born, 1961. The first Trans-Pacific Television by satellite, 1963. Fiber optic cable, 1975. Residential color television, 1965. First personal computer, 1975. UPC barcodes and scanners, 1976. Residential microwaves, 1972. GPS, 1978. Space shuttle, 81. 
First commercially available cell phone, 1983. It's called the Dynatag 800, 8,000. It weighed two pounds and it cost $4,000. Microchip in 87, 3D printers in 85, World Wide Web in 90, the Human Genome Project, 1990, Digital Cellular, 91, Bluetooth, 99, Wi-Fi Networks, 99. Skype, 2003, Facebook, 2004, Drones, 2006, YouTube, 2005, the first microchip that can transmit through skin and track humans, 2005, iPhone, 2007, eBooks and Kindle, 2007, Facial Recognition Technology, 2008, Kindle, 2007, Voice Recognition, 2008, Twitter, 2010, Artificial IBM Watson Computer, 2011, that computer actually competed on Jeopardy and beat their best two champions of all time. Genetic genealogy, tracking your genes, 2009. Augmented reality, 2014. Human-like robots, 2013. Genetic reengineering, 2014. Automatic driving cars, 2016. And in my opinion, the scariest of all, Alexa and Siri, 2014. Message control with propaganda power. The world media through television, social media, Twitter, and other means can take a message globally in seconds. Our global economic agreements and embargoes will make it possible for a world dictator to seize control of what would have been possible just decades ago. While globalism is a key sign of end times, it's not just our ability to communicate that the Bible predicts. It's the message that's communicated. It's the concept of becoming a single global community, undoing everything that God did at Babel for the purpose of establishing ourselves as God. It's the doctrine of humanism actually being implemented on the world stage. Globalism are the actions that come from a humanistic worldview. You see, when you embrace the humanistic worldview, you move towards globalism. In terms of economics, the Bible tells us the ruler will have absolute control over the economy and nobody will buy or sell without his permission. We're moving to a cashless society with one world banking. Electronic fund transfers, Apple Pay debit cards, routine for the first time in human history. The use of the electronic movement of money has almost eliminated the need for cash. Hundreds of millions of dollars move electronically every second. Cryptocurrency is becoming mainstream and it's not tied to any economy. Today, the technology for such an event finally exists. The electronic media is a tremendous tool that allows communication around the world. Access to the internet and satellite phones reach the globe. Missiles can be fired and targeted by GPS to any location in the world in 30 minutes and often by drone. No leader in the past has ever had the opportunity to threaten any portion of the world and blackmail it into submission with a threat of extinction like they do today. The time does not seem that far away when such a government, foretold in scripture thousands of years ago, could dream of such a thing and it become a reality. The only thing that holds back the worldwide event that devastates the economic, political, and military balance may just be the rapture of believers. Just like humanism begins in the book of Genesis with Satan tempting Eve with the lie of humanism, remember, she, you can be like God. 
the origin, origin of globalism found in Genesis as well. We talked about it with Nimrod. The thing I want you to take away today is our world is shrinking. Nations are blending. Borders are falling apart. Cultural distinctions are blending. Races are blending. Religions are blending. Travel has mixed up cultures like never before. Most people don't live any near, anywhere near where they were born or their family was born. Many migrate to other nations. The world is a very different place than it was just 50 years ago. Our economic markets are mixing. What happens economically in one part of the world impacts everyone within hours. That was unheard of in the past. Almost everything we buy now is made in multiple countries, shipped all over the world, and is no longer unique to a nation or culture. The United States used to be called a melting pot, but now it's the entire world. Humanism and globalism are becoming the norm, just as God said they would thousands of years ago. The ability to disseminate information instantly across the world, the ability to control economic markets, to control the electronic transmission of information or money, the ability to control human genes, the ability to control what people can see, think, read, and accept is Satan's soil for the arrival of the Antichrist. In the last 10 years, and particularly the US, people are now told what they can think. Thinking something wrong is now a hate crime. I'm not only gonna tell you what you can do, I'm gonna tell you what you're allowed to think. Be careful, it's out there right now. You can't think that. It's offensive, it's racist, it's whatever. We're being told what we can and can't think and that's just the beginning. We live now in a world where a very small number of people who possess a very powerful weapon, money and influence can change the world. Bill Gates, Musk, Trump, people with tons of money now are directing world events. Non-elected people who have the money to influence and to make changes. The world is changing. Next week we're going to look at how the nations are aligning exactly as the prophets said they would. We are clearly living in end times. So what are we supposed to do? What are Christians supposed to do during this time? Fortunately, God wasn't silent on that topic. When we walk out of this room, what are we supposed to do? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, don't go out in the world and buy the crap they're selling, don't do it. You were bought with a price. You're a son of the living king. You're a daughter of the king. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Go out in the world and make your life a living sacrifice to the God who's going to return. We must understand that the battle for people's souls is at hand. People have elevated themselves, worshiped themselves, lived arrogantly and defiantly as humans, stiff-arming God. So Paul tells us we should present ourselves as a sacrifice to God. To do whatever God tells us to do. We should worship God in our spirit. We should refuse to conform to the world. We should hold these thoughts. Think about the message of the songs you're listening to. Reject the world message of humanism. 
It is through testing that we discover the will of God, Paul says. Peter specifically speaks of end times, and he says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing that you, that any should perish, wish, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter says, look, you should be focusing on holiness and godliness right now. In other words, hold on to the truth and adamantly reject the lies of humanism. We are to wait, but we're to wait actively. Peter continues, he doesn't suggest that believers head to the hills and create a fortress and hide out and start stockpiling food and money and weapons. Instead, he says this, since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people should you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? Everything you have is going to be gone. Everything you think is real is going to be gone. He's saying, what are you holding on to? Live your life as a sacrifice. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you should be able to recognize what's happening beforehand. Knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter says, look, in times we're called to do one thing, to practice holiness and to do good to others whenever and wherever we can. Paul said the same thing, Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. What do we need as the world's fallen apart? We need each other. We need to look at each other in the eyes and go, oh, you got, we got you. I'm with you. We're holding on to the truth no matter what. Why did we create Remnant? Because we said we wanted a church that would hold on to God's truth no matter what happened in the world. Amen. Now, here's the thing. We need each other. In Hebrews, God says, don't stop meeting together, particularly as you see the end coming because you need to encourage one another. Why did we stay open throughout COVID? Because of that passage. We need each other. We don't want to lose courage when we're in end times. God is still sovereign and in control of everything. He knows the future and he absolutely controls what will happen. Here's what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east and a man from my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed it, and I will do it. You see, we need to remember that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. 
God told us to look ahead. Notice that he said what was going to happen before it happened. Because the Bible is God's revelation to humans. God knows and controls the future. Then it stands to reason that when the Bible speaks about what will happen in the future, we can believe it. Concerning predictions of the future, the Bible says this, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This truth is evident in the fact that unlike false prophecies made by other individuals in their own name, such as Nostradamus, the Bible has never been wrong once. Every time the Bible has predicted a future event, or let me rephrase that, Every time God in the Bible has revealed to us a future event, it happened exactly as God said it would. The final word today comes from the book of Titus. I really want you to memorize or at least meditate on this this week. It's Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. What are we supposed to be doing? Waiting for the blessed hope, and in the meantime, being a people that are zealous for our God. We are to lovingly, but firmly reject the lies of humanism. We are to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. As we wait for the return of Jesus, we're to be self-controlled, upright, and live godly lives. We're to be zealous for good works. The flashing lights of humanism and globalism are pounding our world today. It's amazing people don't see how end times are here. And they look at you like you're crazy when you say, I can't believe we're still here. But I can't. Let's pray. God, I thank you for you allowing us to know what's going to happen before it happens can't imagine being in this world right now and not knowing you. can't imagine seeing things out of control and trying to think that I have to fix it or live in it or be some humanist. It must be overwhelmingly exhausting. God, I thank you for the peace that you bring to us, for the assurance that you bring to us, for the greater purpose that you bring to us. I pray right now, God, for all those who've been deceived who are living in anxiety and worry and depending on humans to solve their world problems. They're separated from God. They don't know the truth. For some reason, they've rejected you. I, I don't know why. So God, either they haven't heard the message or spirit hasn't yet penetrated. God, would you send your spirit out into this world to the people that we love, the people that we know who have been stiff-arming you, rebelling, and buying into this worldview. God, do what we can't do. Move their hearts. Bring them home before the end. We love you, God. We thank you for all that you give us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.